AVXL episode 145 was recorded on June 29th, 2021. We're going to have some more fun with Bluetooth, talk about Qualcomm Snapdragon sound reference design. And by the way, Qualcomm has so many chipsets for earbuds and headphones. 83-inch OLEDs are here. YouTube TV gets 4K and finally Dolby 5.1 surround sound. Shocking earbuds. Amazon gets their Columbia Record House on and quite a bit more. Don't forget, email ask at avxl.com if you've got a question for us. And thank you, thank you, thank you to each and every one of you that supports us at patreon.com slash avxl. You make this show possible. Testing, one, two, three. All right. I'm not blowing anything out. Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. Welp, Navy Excel, your guide to the best in home video and audio gear, no matter what your budget is. I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. And I was doing some weird things with my voice in the cold open, so if they were excessively weird, I'd like to apologize to each and every one of you <laughs> listening right now. I thought it sounded great. Why, thank you. You're thank welcome. Thank you very much. <laughs> so... I had a thought. We often have thoughts. We record a podcast, and a couple days later, we wake up, sometimes screaming in the middle of the night with that one last thing we were thinking about. I exaggerate slightly. Robert never wakes up screaming in the middle of the night, at least not about AVXL. <laughs> I have strange dreams. <laughs> we all have strange dreams. Um, but I have one last thought for Tim's outdoor home theater project, his outdoor projector project. And I will be honest, it applies to just about anything and everything we talk about uh, here on AVXL. You can spend as little or as much as you want on this project. His $500 to $1,000 budget was pretty solid. A decent 1080p projector, you know, and up to a couple hundred bucks on a screen. If you're in a part of the world where Craigslist has lots of options, this might be something where you pick up a used uh, a used projector if the bulb's not too old. You can try projecting on the side of the house and not spending money on a, on a screen. Like, there's so many variations on this theme. You know, go with what you're comfortable with. Totally. I was thinking about a friend of mine where he was like, I have to get it right the first time or the kids will be so disappointed that they'll never want to do it again. And I also understand that approach where you're trying to sort of optimize the perfect experience. Um, so, you know, spend what you got to spend. And, uh, you know, for a lot of us, if you can trade off time for money, that's always an exciting option. And it's always good if you get the kids to bed, then start experimenting it when they're not around so you can perfect it. Yes. Also, a random shout out to all of our friends in the Northwest, especially those in Portlandia who are dealing with some epic, unhinged 108, 110 plus degree temperatures. When Portland is hotter than Vegas in the summer, things are weird. And yet again, I think it's the second time we've had over 100 degrees within the Arctic Circle, which, ah, hey, you know, <laughs> it's Tuesday. No, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, my goodness. Uh, on Monday, I was on uh, Daily Tech News Show, Tom Merritt's uh, Daily Tech News Show, discussing uh, streaming and lossless and talking about you know, right. So Apple Music is doing lossless. Spotify is talking about doing lossless on their premium later this year and kind of setting the grounds uh, of, of what is, you know, compressed or lossy audio versus lossless. Why I don't particularly get super excited anymore about, you know, high resolution audio. I just don't think most people can hear a difference. Uh, and of course, 
uh, DSD and MQA and high resolution for that matter. The vast majority of the music I ever listen to is never going to be available in any of those formats. And by the way, CD quality audio is pretty good. Um, I also was laughing because somebody's like, you're an audiophile. And I'm like, I kind of prefer audio geek. I feel like audiophile is just, just not a beloved phrase anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I'd also had run into one of those moments where somebody's talking about, you know, how their $300 speaker cables had really pulled the whole thing together. And if they make you happy, you know, good for you. But that counts for a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just leave it at that. Yeah, <laughs> it's all about the happiness. Um, you noticed uh, Qualcomm has a reference design, the Snapdragon Sound Reference Design Earbud. I did not realize that Qualcomm also created reference designs for OEMs out there to take a look at. If they make the chipsets, it figures somebody should at least put together some kind of a reference design that people can look at. (laughs) However, it's just kind of odd when you think about the people making the chips actually making, uh, in a sense, a a physical product that you would use. Right. Are they also very good at making sound quality decisions in addition to the chipsets, of course, being uh, capable and of quality? So you may have noticed uh, that there are a lot more vendors doing true wireless or you know individual non-wired earbuds that don't have issues connecting with each other. And I bring that up because audio is a growing market for Qualcomm. And they bought Aptex a few years ago. And they've been providing like systems on a chip, uh, SOCs, that do Bluetooth, work as a DAC, work as an amp. They do DSP functionality. They do uh, chipsets with active noise canceling built into them. When you start digging into their website, they're doing amplifiers, soundbar chipsets. Uh, but the one that kind of caught my eye the first was uh, headsets and earbuds. And the first time I realized that Qualcomm was doing this was when I realized uh, the Cambridge Audio's Melomania, which is one of my favorite earbuds, had a Qualcomm chipset built into it. And so when I started digging into their website after I saw that article you posted, I'm like, they have like two or three dozen <laughs> right? audio-related uh, SOCs or chipsets or chips that are uh, BGA. And I think this is their second reference earbud. And the they have one, the Occluded Earbud Reference Design, which I think has been out for a while. It's kind of hard to tell. Uh, they don't really put dates <laughs> on a lot of the stuff on the, on the uh, developer-facing uh, websites. You know, we've seen uh, TI do this. We've seen PC manufacturers do this, uh, where they create a design. And, and in some cases, I think it's them saying, hey, this is what, this is a good place to start. You can make it better from here, but at least make it this good, (laughs) which, you know, also sounds a lot like GPU manufacturers when you think about it. Uh, Thinking back to that encounter with TI, it literally was one of the engineers who literally himself put together a system using the components that they were featuring at the show. Mm -hmm. That was, you could say, just as different or even more different than having something like Qualcomm themselves saying, hey, we've got this group that does these reference products and it incorporates all of our latest stuff. I I guess it's not so strange. It's just uh, seeing it more on the corporate side, I guess, and less filtered through, like, say, an engineer sitting right in front of you in a meeting room. (laughs) Just a little. The name for this is the Gore-Tec Rocks Earbud Reference Design, and it's their demo of the Snapdragon Sound Technology. 
and they're calling that sort of an end-to-end an end-to-end approach i think the idea is that it does everything and you can build from you know Put your little speakers in front of our magnificent uh, chipset. <laughs> totally. <laughs> and worry not. At least on this Gore-Tec Rocks design, uh, it's using Qualcomm's AptX adaptive audio feature, as well right. as AptX voice technology. Support for, of course, your favorite AI assistants out there. And they're claiming up to five hours of battery life with active noise cancellation based on a 35 milliamp right. hour battery. I actually like the design. I don't know if this will ever actually become a, a product you can buy. It would not surprise me to see someone just literally copy this and start selling it. <laughs> that would not be unusual. I'm, um, sure, I'm sure the good folks at uh, Qualcomm would love that. 24-bit, 96 kilohertz, studio master grade quality. Uh, speaking of high-resolution audio, less than 90 milliseconds they're claiming for lag-free gaming, which is a little faster than I think super gamers want, but probably not noticeable by old people like Rob and I. Aptex voice audio technology uh, for your talky part of your phone calls. Amazon Alexa, Google Assistant, always on voice support. Uh, Five-hour battery life with active noise cancellation based on a 35 milliamp hour battery, which is not huge battery life, but again, you know, it's all about really what uh, the companies do with this. So more on Snapdragon sound as we get to it. Um, There's just a, you know, Qualcomm's doing a lot on the audio side of things, you know, and I got to be honest with you, if, if they do a high quality DAC and amp, and that allows the earbud or headphone manufacturers to spend more time thinking about making a better driver and enclosure. Uh, that makes me happy. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> so we'll see where it goes from here, as they say. Sennheiser CX True Wireless, speaking of wireless earbuds, latest updates uh, from Sennheiser is a $130 True Wireless a pair of earbuds. They're kind of the, the follow-on or the, the latest after the uh, $200 CX400BT. These are going to sell for 130 bucks. shipped July 8th. They have a black version. They have a white version. They're kind of like little touch-sensitive, customizable cubes or blocks with earbuds to poke into the side of your head. Uh, dual mics. Each earbud can be operated on its own, which I kind of like because I've, I've been known to you know, have things going around me and have one earbud stuffed into the side of my skull to make a phone call. They're talking about a nine-hour battery life, 27 hours total with the charging case, and they feature a, quote, true response transducer. And Sennheiser said this, it's uh, deep basses, natural mids, clear, detailed treble. Uh, some early reviews uh, had some treble trouble or a little bit uh, of harshness in the treble. Uh, no idea what they sound like. Haven't heard them yet. Hope to hear them at Can Jam later this year. Very cool. We'll keep you posted should they be in attendance. Good to know. Hey, I had a quick follow-up for the LG 120 Hertz Dolby Vision update that we talked about in the previous episode. Apparently, it was not official, but LG last night sent out a press release talking about this very firmware update for <laughs> LG C1 and G1 series OLED TVs, making them, quote, the first in the world capable of supporting incredible Dolby Vision HDR at 4K120 on certain gaming platforms. Additional premium models in LG's 2021 TV lineup include the OLED Z1 series, 
the QNED Mini LED, QNED 99 series, and the NanoCell <laughs> Nano 99 series. Those OLEDs and LCDs will get the update in July. And they mentioned that additional models throughout the 2021 lineup, as well as some of the 2020 TVs, are being tested for Dolby Vision gaming compatibility at either 60 or 120 hertz. Still no word yet if any of this will make its way into the 2019 lineup, but, you know, keep your hopes up. That might happen. <laughs> Probably not. Maybe. We wait with bated breath. <laughs> Tom from Fremont emailed, I just read that YouTube TV will be streaming in 4K. They're charging quite a bit extra for this at 20 bucks a month. What I can't seem to determine is exactly what content will be available in 4K. Sports in 4K would be really awesome. It would be great if you two could try out this new service and tell us if it's worth it or not. Love the podcast. Thanks, Tom. And thank you, Tom. So what's that bring the tab up for, if you take the 4K option, what does that uh, bring the UTV streaming cable bundle option up Let to? Let me pull out the calculator and see with a, uh, <laughs> 65 bucks is the starting price for your right. YouTube TV plan. And then they want 20 on top of that. So we're talking 85 bucks uh, minimum, huh. at least to get started. And then if you add in additional sports channels or other packages, You'll have that. There is a lot of content I find in 4K, especially from the movie folks that are streaming. Mm -hmm. As far as like broadcast TV, that seems to be currently limited more to the sporting events, I would say. And quite a few of them are now actually streaming it in 4K, be it the NBA, auto racing. I've seen a few baseball games. But yeah, that's a very good question, though, is what content exactly is not only going to be offered in 4K, but Right. will actually be recorded in 4K with 4K cameras and the service behind that to make sure that it's just not upscaled content. The big problem with sports, Tom, is that you need a lot of cameras and 4K cameras are expensive and there's still a lot of places where they just don't, they just don't have 4K cameras in the stadiums. CNET says that YouTube TV is going to have uh, the 2020 Tokyo Olympics, MLB All-Star Game. You know, the other thing that came out along with 4K is that HDR, unlimited simultaneous streams up from three to your home will come with that $20 and uh, an offload or you can download uh, DVR shows for offline viewing on your phone or tablet. I think a bigger news for a lot of people is that all YouTube TV subscribers are going to finally be getting 5.1 Dolby Audio uh, and some pretty slick enhanced DVR stuff, uh, especially for the Olympics where you can like jump ahead to key plays or highlights. So if you, you know, if you, if you're DVRing something and you want to catch up to the live show, cause you just got home from work or whatever, you know, you can skip to the good stuff and then catch up with the live stream. But, you know, <laughs> YouTube was like, probably our most requested feature, surround sound. Um, you know, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, it's, that's, a, that's a good call. I got to be honest with you, I just, I, I won't do cable at all anymore. Uh, I, I apologize, Tom. Um, it's just between the cost and the simple fact that I'm one of those guys that can sit and go like, ooh, look, it's a korean golf channel oh abyssinian cooking show you know what i mean like i will i will just i will go through like channel like 4433 4434 4435 every time i travel and stay in a hotel if i turn on the television i'm reminded of how pissed off i get seeing commercials which probably is an issue with youtube tv <laughs> no but it's something that makes it very hard for me to does it have commercials 
Of course, it's just like regular television. And I'm sorry. The Tom. nice thing is, is that you get the full <laughs> DVR and you can bring it with you and watch it on anything. And that makes it pretty convenient. I have no problem with YouTube TV. YouTube TV is my favorite of the TV streaming services, and it works yeah. fantastic. It's, it's good. Just this upgrade for 4K. It's a little spendy. And we're in the middle of this transition to ATSC 3.0 for broadcasting. So on the back end, who is doing live 4K at this point, if you're into live content? For the recorded movies and things like that that are available, of course, from services like Netflix or whoever, there's lots of 4K out there. And I also see it quite a bit from individual streaming platforms, be it, you know, ESPN or Fox or NBC. But yeah, it would just be nice to say, hey, for that 20 bucks, here are the list of broadcasters who guarantee like, you know, at least (laughs) primetime programming in 4K. Or something, or who have made the transition. It's just that you're in this kind of weird spot where, okay, if the content's available in 4K, you're now going to get it, but how much of it are you really going to get? The YouTube TV Help uh, website, 4K Playback is available on select live and on-demand content from these networks. Oh. Discovery, ESPN, Fox Sports, FX, Nat Geo, NBC Sports, and Tastemade. There you go. If that list right there isn't doing it for you, I wouldn't be in a rush. I mean, everyone with a 4K TV, I'm sure would love to have 4K streaming, but the amount of content really isn't there, at least in terms of live events. I will say, you know, it's 85 channels, which will, you know, which would minimize the amount of time I could spend scanning through channels 3,000 through 4,000, um, <laughs> searching for, you know, local... The interface is far more beautiful, too. <laughs> you yeah. will appreciate it. Well, and, you know, you get NFL, NBA, MLB networks, um, PBS, BET, Comedy Central, MTV, Nickelodeon, unlimited cloud DVR storage. I mean, it, you know... It's, it's sweet. It's... It's painful to pay that extra 20 bucks for 4K, but there is a lot of good stuff going on uh, in terms of the content. I just, I just, I apologize, Tom, but I'm one of those guys that will just watch. I just, it's, I, you know, I walked away from cable, you know. <laughs> I spent this weekend watching regular YouTube TV, satellite. Two, 2K or 1080p YouTube TV on a 4K TV. It looked great. It was just like any other cable box experience just simply better looking menus and an easier interface to search and do things on. If you'd like a YouTube experience, yeah, I I flip back and forth. I watch far more YouTube than I watch probably anything else. And I watch very little regular TV. So while I do subscribe to YouTube Premium, I do not subscribe to YouTube TV, but I may have to test it out just to see how this 4K looks. I have a funny feeling that the Great British Baking Show between Netflix and PBS is probably the most watched thing in my house right now. There you go. My son is obsessed. Also, I need your cookie recipes. Something Um, you could probably get with an antenna connected to the back of the TV. (laughs) For free. The $10 antenna. But PBS is free and it's streaming. Oh, well, there you go. We, we get Poldark. Um, oh, by the way, uh, heads up uh, for soccer folks. TechCrunch, uh, when they were talking about uh, uh, YouTube TV's 4K upgrade, they said uh, the $9.99 monthly Paramount Plus premium plan includes a wide range of international soccer matches. So if your relationship to soccer goes beyond watching Ted Lasso coming July 23rd, season two, not that I'm excited, uh, check out Paramount, Paramount Plus Premium Plan. I and, caught the uh, Portugal match. Options. 
Portugal. I caught the Portugal match. I think it was with Netherlands. And yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> Unfortunate for Portugal, but I will say no more. Oh it was still goodness. a good match. Did you watch it on an 83-inch OLED television? <laughs> I did not. Actually, I was sitting out in the backyard of a friend's house, and he's got a 65-inch 4K TV in the living room. And then outdoors, we had, I think it was a, a 40, a 42-inch TCL 3 or 4 series with built-in Roku. And that was streaming YouTube TV. And we were just enjoying the, uh, the pleasant weather in an outdoor environment. With literally yeah. just an extension cord run out to the TV, and it's, it didn't need anything else. Use the Wi-Fi to stream the video, and we were jumping back and forth between uh, three or four different sporting events that day. Nice. It's quite a fun experience. And I will give credit for some of those less expensive TVs, like the, the three or whatever, the four series maybe from TCL. They're physically lightweight TVs. They are very easy to move around. <laughs> it's like an, a box full of air and Oh, for a quick and easy setup, it's not a huge struggle. If you remember back in the day when even those 32-inch LCD TVs used to be made mostly of metal and they weighed about 32 pounds, <laughs> things have changed quite a bit. Not too long ago, several days ago, the biggest OLED you could get would be like a 77-inch model. And uh, you found the A90J and the C1 have arrived baby at least in the the 88 or the 88 actually lg did make an 88 and they still sell an 88 inch oled uh 8k version it's like 20 dollars ignoring that one the new 83 inch <laughs> panels for 2021 is the new step up from 77 inch that used to be the big screen size that are uh, available from all the folks selling oled panels right now so if you want the flagship from sony the A90J in 83-inch screen size, the current list price is $8,000. That's going to be beautiful. However, if you want to save a little bit of money, you can go for the LG C1 OLED at 83 inches, and that will set you back a mere $5,800 USD right now. And when I get to thinking about really big TVs, I think about room lighting conditions. And unless this TV is going to be somewhat in a light-controlled environment, especially with OLED technology, given how bright it can be, I would still consider something like, if money was no object, or for prices similar to these, something like the 2021 4K Samsung QN90A, their QLED television. This is a TV that we've talked about before. It can hit over 1800 nits in HDR, has a decent factory calibration, really good DCI P3 color for your HDR enjoyment. And at 85 inches, it's about... $3,800. Hmm. That's getting kind of up there in terms of, you know, you're getting into some OLED price territory, but it's right. a couple thousand less than, say, an 83-inch OLED is going to set you back right now. And it's going to work much better in a brightly lit room, given that not only is the TV itself brighter, but it also has a superior anti-reflective coating on the front of it. And if you're wondering what an 83-inch OLED weighs... <laughs> Well, the C1 weighs in at 91.7 pounds with the stand, 71.2 pounds without. Compare that to the 85-inch QN90A from Samsung. That baby's 125 pounds with the stand and a svelte 98.1 without. So if you plan to wall mount these, just get some help <laughs> and make sure you're hitting the studs. <laughs> oh. 
Remember when TVs were heavy? <laughs> That's not oh that goodness. bad. I, I want to say I had a CRT that weighed in that range at some point. So, yeah. These are much larger screens. Super yes, size. Thankfully. Just getting the box is a fiasco. It, it's just like, okay, <laughs> can I get a box that big safely and cleanly delivered to the location it needs to be installed in? <laughs> and then will I have the help around to actually get the thing out of the box, let alone even set it up? So. Even I don't try to set up something that big by Ooh. myself. That's like that's almost a three-person job. Seriously. Like two people to hold the monitor and one person to bolt the base amount on the back. There you go. Well, at least it has a stand. I guess, take, you know. Take yeah. your time. Yeah. <laughs> Invite friends over. You have a new monitor, which you've been waiting for for approximately forever. Totally. I had a list of specific features and functions I wanted in a new monitor, specifically something that could do 1440p resolution, a nice high refresh rate, something with approaching at least HDR playback and that in terms of right. light output and color. And what I came to was the Asus XG27AQ. This is, I want to say, a almost $500 27-inch monitor. So far, I am completely impressed with it in terms of just the out-of-the-box factory calibration is actually quite good. It has superb uniformity. It gives me a bump up in several items that I really wanted. I was going from a 24-inch 16 by 10 monitor to this 27-inch uh, 16 by 9 monitor. That gives mm -hmm. me about 20% more screen real estate. Uh, I actually checked it out. I get about 52 square inches more. <laughs> And the pixel per inch, which was important for me. I didn't want to get a bigger monitor and then have suddenly the pixels per inch become right. even worse. So it had to be a higher resolution. This gets me from about 94 to 108. And I now have literally about twice or three times the light output compared to my previous monitor. Oh, wow. I'm only running this thing at about 50 or 60% of its total light output in terms of that setting. Yeah. Uh, even during the daytime, I find that at 100%, it's a little too bright for me. Oh, just looking at the picture compared to my old business class monitor, this has superb contrast. Uh, I read a review of it saying it had well over a thousand to one native contrast. That was just as visually stunning to me as the color update. This is also the first monitor I've ever experienced with high refresh rate and the synchronization features that are available. In this case, it's a G-Sync compatible monitor. I'm also experimenting with a backlight strobing mode that's built into this monitor as well that will also oh, wow. improve motion performance. And it's one of the few monitors apparently that can actually enable both the synchronization feature for the refresh rate as well as this strobing function at the same time. That apparently is a pretty rare function. However, it seems like not a lot of people are utilizing that strobing mode for the overall picture quality. It's like you kind of got to make a trade-off depending on do you want the peak brightness or would you rather have the better motion performance? This particular monitor also has a dimming function as well for the backlighting system, a very basic backlight dimming function that I'm also experimenting with. So just try to look at everyone's opinions and with my own eyes and try to come up with the best sort of combo but it was awfully nice just to go right into the Windows 10 setup and switch it right over from 60 hertz to 144 currently. Although this monitor can be overclocked, I think, up to 170. So, oh, wow. I do miss my 16 by 10 aspect ratio, but having a slightly larger monitor helps make up for it. And the only real complaint I'm having right now is that 
I don't see the motherboard's boot up screen and I really don't see anything on this monitor until Windows loads. And I need to check through my settings and see if something maybe in the motherboard setup is defaulting to a different display first or what, but it's annoying because sometimes I do go into my BIOS and I either update something or I tweak something <laughs> or I just want to look at it. <laughs> you don't want to stab F2 or F8 over and over again trying to get the BIOS to, to oh, stop. <laughs> it's just, uh, it shows nothing. It gives you like a, a no signal all the way until it hits Windows. I don't do 640 by 480. If I switch over to my old monitor, it has no problem. It sees, yeah, you know what? It's something like that. It's like a low resolution support <laughs> is missing for this premium quote unquote monitor. Yeah. I am really happy with it though. In terms of just, I, I'm honestly quite surprised at the image uniformity edge to edge. Apparently this is some sort of an IPS panel, which I, you know what? Of all things I really looked at in terms of features, I really didn't even check to see what it was but i'm right. pretty damn impressed every test i throw at it shows it delivering full color very little banding artifacts or other problems it's not a cheap monitor but i'm super happy with it for its given size and performance and that 14 refresh rate is kind of crazy is just about perfect for gaming i really prefer high frame rates over high resolution and right. 4k just wasn't gonna be long term even with the best graphics cards it's just not something where if you like to dial up all the eye candy, it's hard to run things above 100 hertz unless you have a serious set of firepower in terms of the graphics card itself. So that'll be the next thing I'm upgrading. I'll get to that soon. But <laughs> anyway. Does it have the fancy dragon head logo on the back? It does. I think it's a dragon head. And it's got the full RGB lighting thing on the back. But I honestly turned all that off because I don't, <laughs> I don't even notice it. And I'm not, right. yeah. It's kind of cool, though. If you want to dial in, like if you had a, a light-colored wall and you could dial in any specific color or have it cycle through or match oh, your nice. computer or do whatever you want. But I sometimes at night, like I would turn on like a red backlight in a sense, like a almost like a bias light behind it. Right. And eh, it's there. It's not something I'm I'm focused on. Uh, I do appreciate all the little features built into it. It's got a nice but menu system. But if you system. want your motherboard color to sync with your monitor color to sync with your headset color. <laughs> I do have a motherboard that supports all of that as well, but I have a case with no windows <laughs> and, and no RGB otherwise. <laughs> so it's a nice black box and I keep it that way. But oh, I just uh, compared to where I was and what I was using at my 10 year old plus uh, business class monitor going to something like this. It's a fantastic update and an upgrade. And I haven't seen the price on this particular monitor dip very much. It seems to stay right around that $500 price point, uh, which is not cheap, but I'm thrilled. And I really like the stand. It's got the perfect amount of height adjustment as well as tilt, and it can become a portrait or landscape as well. Nice. I'm digging it. I'm even using the uh, built-in USB 3 hub. That's actually... <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> I just need to see my I'm BIOS. i giggling. If I can see it's my nice BIOS, it's USB I will, uh... 3. <laughs> I just want to see my BIOS. My 34-inch ultra-wide monitor suddenly seems so dated. I've actually been eyeballing Seamus's uh, gaming monitor and being like, man, that refresh rate is sweet. 
It Speaking is. of things we don't replace that often, except for me, uh, JJ posted on patreon.com slash JVXL. And JJ, thank you so much for being a patron. He says, do you have a bang for the buck 4K Blu-ray player pick for those looking to upgrade from standard Blu-rays? My LG TV has a deep color setting. It just appeared after a software update, and I would like to take advantage of it. So uh, after uh, I had a couple of, I guess, you know, relatively cheaper, affordable Sony Blu-rays players died uh, I have given up on them for a while. It may have been the temperatures in the closet they were in, but uh, it just irritated the hell out of me. So when we got uh, a 4K TV for the RV we were in last year, um, I picked up an LG UPK80, and that was like 180 bucks. Uh, in part because it was the only thing that was in stock anywhere. And a lot of people find that a really annoying option because it only has a single HDMI port. I've never really had a problem with that, um, but I also am almost always either powering things off of the television or off of a um, uh, 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 AVR that I use to switch everything. So right. You're still running. Uh, your Sony X700 has been holding up quite well, if memory serves. It has. I do not use it a lot. So in terms of just how tough is it over, say, like thousands of uses, I don't have that to report on at this right. point but for every disc i do throw at it and that is nothing usually but the 4k uhd blu-ray discs it's been phenomenal and the main reason i went with that particular model was the fact that at about 150 dollars it will play your dolby vision content in addition to regular hdr discs and your dvds and regular blu-rays too and cds if you want to throw one in there <laughs> All the CDs. It's a good price point. There aren't that many options out there, to be honest with you, especially when yeah. you're looking for value, uh, at least for brand names. Well, there's not a lot of, I mean, there's like three or four premier Blu-ray, 4K UHD Blu-ray players. There's at least one sort of Oppo wannabe that doesn't isn't shipping yet. Um, Pioneer like Elite. 150 is 150 bucks. Uh, doesn't have Dolby Vision support. Has a single HDMI port. If you want everything, uh, I think it was Chris Heinonen over at uh, uh, Wirecutter that made me aware of this one, the Panasonic DP-UB820, which includes Dolby Vision. And unlike LG's Dolby Vision-capable uh, 4K UHD Blu-ray player, you don't have to manually switch between 24p and 60 hertz. Um, oh, that's $464 down from over 800 at launch. Uh, it's got twin HDMI ports and all sorts of goodness. Um a lot of people love Panasonic's HDR optimizer feature, which is also available in these considerably less expensive DPUB420. So that it basically tweaks the dynamic range of the video coming out of the back of the Blu-ray player, so that it jibes with your how bright your TV can get. Um, it's tough. Yeah, I'd probably say one of the entry-level Panasonics might be the way to go, or that X700 from Sony. The only thing about the UB150 is, again, it doesn't have Dolby Vision support. So if that's important to right. you or you have a TV that supports it, which most of the LG TVs do, that's just nice to have. As long as you're right. shopping for discs, it's like, damn, get the Dolby Vision disc. <laughs> it looks so good. So shiny. Uh, and, of course, there are Ultra HD Blu-ray consoles from Microsoft and Sony. Much like GPUs, these are something someday you may be able to actually buy be able to i can't even say it without getting sad anymore <laughs> i know there is 4k uhd playback available on the xbox 
right. the disc version, of course. I am less certain if Sony ever enabled that as a feature on the PlayStation 5, which that just drives me nuts if it isn't enabled. Because if anybody should have well, it's not a, like you could buy one anyway. Yeah. <laughs> if Sony isn't going to get my PS5 money, they'll get my uh, X700 money. <laughs> there you have it. One way or another. <laughs> the big challenge, right, with the with the 4K UAC Blu-ray players is getting Dolby Vision, which is a little spendy. Or, you know, put you into that $200 and above Blu-ray player uh, area. But it's less spendy than it was. Yay. Totally. But Anybody? if you're rolling with something like, you know, a, a really nice Samsung TV where you just don't need Dolby Vision support, then something like the Panasonic UB150 is another option right. uh, at a great price. Or, or a projector like mine, because no projectors are currently supporting uh, Dolby Vision. Yeah. Box. That's where you would like that dynamic tone mapping feature available in the uh, UB820 or the UB420. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all in good time, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> strange hdmi dongles may or may not be in my future oh well we'll figure that out we got a great question um from kevin and uh who is a patreon supporter in vancouver canada and a fan since the techzilla days he wrote thank you kevin uh, thank you for being a patron and thanks for following along with us so long so he caught our bluetooth le discussion in episode 143 or, or mention of it at the tail end of uh, 143 he says, I'm especially interested in the new feature of broadcast audio or location-based audio since that could really make listening easier for hearing aid users at public events such as my church, which will soon be starting hybrid worship services, half of the people in person and half still on Zoom. He caught an article in Discover uh, Magazine back in March talking about the future of Bluetooth hearing aids and LE audio and, and how that's going to sort of... Uh, kind of take over. I mean, if you if you have anyone in your life that uses hearing aids, it is amazing what adding Bluetooth into hearing aids has already done. For example, uh, my neighbor who had some severe hearing loss and having Bluetooth for his phone tied into his hearing aids was incredible for him because it just made it easier for him to use the phone, silly as that may sound. But he said... Uh, He'd love to be able to listen to a venue's well-produced audio stream, yet still have situational awareness in a hear, uh, like a hear-through mode, uh, that like some earbuds add. But his big question, he goes, is there a chicken and egg problem where the LE-enabled receiving devices won't be developed until they know that transmitters will be available for installation in public venues? Or is it just a matter of time for Bluetooth 5.2 to be included in product cycle refreshes as Bluetooth 5.0 is only now becoming increasingly adopted in newly released headphones? Which sites or online stores would be the best places for me to keep an eye on for transmitters in the coming month, as presumably new chipsets need to be developed and rolled out to the manufacturers to include in their products? Thanks, Kevin. Uh, this is completely and totally a chicken and egg uh, problem. The nice thing is that because so much of the industry is moving to... Um, you know, basically that people want better Bluetooth performance and people want better earbud performance. I think it's going to be a, a natural, but part of the challenge with Bluetooth LE, right, is you're going to, you're going to want phones that are compatible with it. You're going to want earbuds or headphones that are compatible with it. You're going to want, it's all, I, I mean, I wouldn't expect much uh, in the immediate future. No, but I think over time you'll see many devices with LE enabled and uh, just being able to do the public broadcast system or the right. broadcast audio at least in terms of the location-based sharing yeah it's gonna trickle out but yeah is it gonna be like a night and day transition over one one year probably not <laughs> yeah it's 
you know, one of the things you can do is, is uh, Bluetooth.com is the Bluetooth SIGS website. That's a good place to look. You know, you're going to have to keep searching. Discrete transmitters available for sale. I haven't heard of a single one yet, but I'll be honest with you. I haven't had anybody contact me at this point saying that, hey, we've got our, you know, Bluetooth LE next generation devices available uh, for testing. Again, that's that, you know, that was supposed to happen, you know, second half of this year, uh, you know, and how that has been impacted by product availability and chip availability because of COVID. Uh, and of course, the fact that everybody in the planet was buying new gear last year remains uh, uh, remains to be seen. But I would keep an eye, uh, keep an eye on Bluetooth.com and uh, keep an eye on your favorite audio venues and keep an eye on the phone announcements later this year. It's going to be, you know, you, you basically have it nailed already. It's a chicken or egg situation. It's it, like everything else with Bluetooth. It's always a long slow exercise in patience when they roll out new technology. So I'd like to ping a hearing specialist just to see like, what are some of like the top brands that people are mm. considering when they shop for hearing aids? Do they really even have a choice? And are those companies at least eyeballing what the upcoming features are? And then, well, apparently some are already. And if, well, if you can get Bluetooth in a hearing aid today, then yeah. I see no reason why they wouldn't be upgrading the standards as they become deployed and the chips that's become available. The systems on a chip right. we were talking about earlier become available <laughs> to drop into these kind of products. And then they're ready to go then for when there is either easy ways of doing broadcast audio over Bluetooth right. or it just becomes, a, you know, another checkbox feature everyone has. I'll be curious, you know, because that's now think about it. We were talking about uh, the Qualcomm's uh, chipsets. Like, I, are there any? I don't think there's any Bluetooth 5.0 or not Bluetooth 5.0, uh, Bluetooth uh, LE chipsets at Qualcomm. I'll have to take a look. There will be more in the future yep. as we uncover it, Kevin. So. Speaking of earbuds, Daniel emailed Ask at AVXL. He says, hey, guys, love the show. I found it recently for Patrick on Tech News today. Oh, thank you, Daniel, and thank you to DTNS. I am, however, going through a lot of older episodes, and earlier in the year of 2021, I think you asked a question about earbuds shocking people. I've actually had this happen to me, he writes, but not in the way that your question probably intended. About three years ago, I was doing household chores, listening to my iPhone with the earbuds that come with it earbuds in the ears, wires attached to the iPhone. I meandered down to the basement to switch the laundry, jam into my tunes. I opened the dryer and proceeded to pull out the towels and fold them. You know where this is going, right? And put them in the basket. However, one of them crackled as I extracted it from the dryer. When I put the towel under my chin to fold it, both of my eardrums were shocked as static electricity found the path of least resistance to the ground. Electrons jumped from the towel to my headphone cord then up to my ears and shocked the heck out of me. I swear I went deaf for 15 seconds. I checked later and was surprised that the electricity did not damage the iPhone earbuds. Realizing what happened, I did the rest of the laundry without my headphones on, and now only wireless headphones or a portable speaker for me when static electricity could be involved. Hope you enjoyed the story and warning about corded earbuds and static electricity. Daniel from Cincinnati. Um, Al. <laughs> I want to try that just to feel... Uh, no, no, I don't. What am I thinking? <laughs> I do not need to send static electricity into my ear hole. <laughs> Just think of Tesla. I think Daniel, I mean, what Daniel did the testing. <laughs> yeah, I'll take his word for it. The thing this. is, when you get into extremely high voltages, it actually travels on the surface, which is why Tesla was able to do all the crazy stuff he did with, with giant sparks. 
it is interesting when you start looking at the performance of extremely high voltages. It is very interesting and slightly terrifying how it behaves. So I'm glad you had no hearing loss. I'm glad your earbuds did not die. And I will try to keep uh, my corded devices away from my laundry folding, which is uh, obsessive and uh, bordering on OCD, according to my children. <laughs> Man. So my uh, entire home theater is apart, torn apart because uh, I'm uh, basically sorting out some bookshelf issues from behind it. The walls of my basement are white, and I have an acoustically transparent uh, screen, which allows way more light through it than I'm used to. Right. Which gets reflected off of the back and creates its own bias lighting situation. Uh, you but can I will see I, what's going I, on back there. <laughs> I, yeah, we, we've talked about this in the past. Um, you know, it gets really interesting when the cat jumps up back there and tries to chew on the side of the screen. Not that, that makes me bitter and angry, but um, the cat and I otherwise get along extremely well. But uh, I just, I all I could think was like, you know, like I'm, I'm sort of redoing how it's spaced from the wall to make it easier to put cabling behind it. I'm probably rewiring the whole thing. I'm probably going to hide my AVR at the back of the room like I did in the past. Um, and it's just fun. I oh, forgot okay. how much fun it is <laughs> rewiring everything. So much fun. I had to clean the whole desk off yesterday just to make room for the new monitor setup. Oh. That was a nice little excursion. It gave me a chance to look around my uninterrupted power supply, and I realized I had a couple of things plugged in that didn't even connect to anything. So I, uh, oh, that's funny. I freed up some space on there. I'm like, hey, this isn't actually plugged in. Oh, geez. Here we go. Oh, my goodness. Uh, quick shout out to the Criterion channel, which is uh, Criterion Collections online streaming service, which I subscribe to. Uh, they announced what they've got coming up in July, which is there's so much good stuff. They've got some art house animation, i.e. animation that is for adults, not children, not adults in the naughty sense, but adults in the like, this is not a kid's cartoon sense. And a whole neo-noir selection, um, which has a crazy selection of movies. Uh, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Like the one that really caught my eyes, uh, Linda Fiorentino in The Last Seduction, which had a profound impact on me as a teenager when I saw it uh, back in the day, oh, so many years ago. But uh, where is it? Uh, the Long Goodbye, Chinatown, uh, Farewell, My Lovely, Cotton Comes to Harlem, The Killing of a Chinese Bookie, uh, The Big Sleep, Body Heat, Thief, Blowout, Blood Simple, which is one of the first, like the first Coen Brothers movie and is amazing. That's a whole bunch of good stuff. Brick, which came out in 2005, which is kind of fascinating to me. They also have Being There, which is Hal Ashby and Peter Sellers. Hal Ashby directing Peter Sellers in one of his most extraordinary performances as an actor. Um, it's an incredible story. People love it or hate it. Also, uh, on the love or hate front, uh, Richard Linklater's first movie, Slacker, which uh, is a fascinating experience uh, if you're into cinema, if you've never seen it. No Peter Sellers there. Uh, Hoop Dreams, Hedwig and the Angry Inch, Orson Welles' Othello. Uh, and just a ton of good stuff. They cycle stuff in and out, so it's one of the things I, I appreciate that they do that monthly announcement. Uh, nice. They also are pretty good about telling you when stuff's leaving. If you're into cinema, and since I'm hundred in film studies, I kind of am, uh, and classic movies, they have an incredible selection, and their treatments, if you see you know, their DVDs or their Blu-rays, um, they do a fantastic job transferring them, which I really appreciate it. So props to Criterion Channel and the Criterion Collection. Super oh my cool. Goodness. 
at Robert Heron, at Patrick Norton, or at AV Acceler, places to tweet at us. We uh, we tend to do the Twitter thing quite often, especially me. Uh, if you want to use a hashtag, hashtag AskAVXL works. And uh, the best way, to, as always, to get a hold of us is to email ask at AVXL.com. And if you're a patron, and please, if you aren't a patron, think about coming a patron, patreon.com slash AVXL. You can post a message to us there. And thank you, thank you, thank you. One more time to all of our patrons. You make the show possible, and we appreciate that. Yeah, you do. Oh, my goodness. I got to yank cables and then throw mulch and then write. <laughs> so with that, ladies and gentlemen, hope you enjoyed the show. Email us, askatavxl.com. I'm Patrick Norton. I'm Robert Aaron. We'll catch you next week on AVXL. <laughs>